Psalm 32 was Augustine's favorite psalm. He thought so much of it that he had it written on the wall over his bed. It was said that he wept incessantly as he meditated on it because it reminded him of what a great sinner he was and how gracious God was to lavish such grace on such a sinner like him. What is our perspective of ourself this morning? Do we think we're pretty good? Or do we have a more sobering view of ourselves that we are sinners in need of help of our Savior every day? Well, this morning, open your Bibles to Psalm 32. Psalm 32. And we'll highlight the first half of this wonderful psalm by David. It is a psalm of thanksgiving as we see that God grants forgiveness to his people, to sinners who struggle like us, even though we are positionally saints. Let's go to our Lord in prayer as we begin. Holy Father, we praise you this morning. We honor you, Father. Help us, Father, to walk in your ways as we are like Augustine, as we recognize our battle, our struggle with sin every day, our lack of love, our arrogant attitude, the foolish words that come out of our mouths, the evil thoughts that we think, Father, forgive us. Wash us clean. Lead us by your spirit. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 32, 1 and 2 starts this way. David says this. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So David begins by saying blessed, blessed. Blessed here means the happy one, the favored one, the one who is full of happiness, if you may. And if you didn't hear it or you missed it, maybe you're still in worship mode, thinking of the songs, Raised to Life, and all the songs that we just heard from the worship team, and we sort of missed the beginning of what we said. Well, David repeats himself again. He tells us again in verse 2, and he says, blessed or happy or the blessed one. The question is, why does David say this person is blessed? Why does he say this person is happy? It's a question we may be sitting here wondering at this very moment. How can I find true happiness? How can I find real blessing? How can I have the joy of the Lord? Well, let's reread what David said because he told us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. So David says, blessed or happy is the one who has the biggest house. Or blessed or happy is the one who's the most wealthiest. Or blessed or happy is the one who's been successful in corporate America. Or blessed or happy is the one who has the largest retirement account. Are these the reasons why David says someone is blessed? Someone is happy? 
Of course not, right? David says, blessed or happy is the one who has been forgiven of their sin, who have been cleared of their rebellion, who has had their transgressions canceled by the Lord. Amen? Which leads to point number one. Happy are the forgiven ones. Point number one says, happy are the forgiven ones. Those who have trusted, those who have turned to Christ in faith and repentance are now children of God. These are the ones who are happy. These are the ones who are joyful. These are the ones who are living for Christ passionately in the moment, today, in the present time. Are we experiencing the joy of our salvation this morning? Are we excited that the Lord has given us freedom in Christ Jesus? Amen. Well, David starts, let's look and start breaking these verses down. And David starts this psalm in verses 1 and 2 by using three words to describe sin. Let's go through them as we look at verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. This shows the gravity. We see the seriousness of our sin. Sin means to miss the mark. Sin is departing from the truth. Sin is going our own way. Sin is literally rebellion against God. John Piper asks a question, and then he answers this question. And it's pretty awesome, so I'll just go through it with you really quick here. But what is sin is what he asks. What is sin? And then he says this, It is the glory of God not honored, the holiness of God not reverenced, the greatness of God not admired, the power of God not praised, the truth of God not sought, the wisdom of God not esteemed, the beauty of God not treasured, the goodness of God not savored, the fullness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized the person of God not loved that is sin brothers and sisters is this how we look at our sin sin poisons us it corrupts us sin twists us Sin blinds us sin deceives us sin leads us down the wrong path And this leads to point number two. Sin is our real problem. Sin is our real problem. Can we see the depth of our problem this morning? The full spectrum of our own struggles with sin. The gravity of our depravity that still remains inside of us. I wonder how many of us look at our lives and think sin is a real problem for us. My rebellion against God is almost more than we should be able to bear. Because my fear is most of us have bought into false teaching that says, when I became a Christian, sin is no longer an issue for me. I have moved on to maturity. Sin used to be my problem before I lived for Christ, but now I've graduated from sin. I'm beyond sin now. Now I only make mistakes. Or little teeny, eeny, weensy sins. But 
they aren't really anything serious to worry about. I mean, now I'm a pretty good guy. Let me remind us that all sin, bad words, lack of love, gossip, little tiny, little tiny, little white lies, exaggeration, lack of prayer, and I could go on and on, caused our Savior to die on the cross brutally. There is no such thing as small sins. It was Paul who said that he was worst of sinners. And I wonder if we look at ourselves and think, I am worst of sinners. Do we understand what it is to be in anguish over our sin? And how much it breaks God's heart when we disobey or disregard his word? How many of us are broken over our sinfulness this morning? How many of us plead with God to help us to be more like Christ? How many of us know what our sinful struggles are, what we really even struggle with? I know for myself the last couple of weeks, I have been sickened and saddened by my own sinful selfishness. And question, how much, Lord, do I really love other people? Scripture says that my love for God is seen in my love for people. That means when I'm not loving people, I'm really not loving who? God. Are we broken and humbled over the darkness that still remains, resides within us? Let's go back to our main text. And we're still in Psalm 32, 1 and 2 which says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So we see in verses 1 and 2 that God meets our sinfulness with his forgiveness. Amen? With his forgiveness, we see three ways God deals with our sin and gives us grace instead. Which leads to point number three. Sin is great, but God's forgiveness is greater. Sin is great, but God's forgiveness is greater. Verse 1 says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. We see God lifts off. He takes away our sin with his forgiveness. It would be like someone carrying a heavy weight on his back. And as they struggle to walk, they strain. They are exhausted. They're weighed down from the heavy load until one day someone takes the weight off of them, and now they are free, they're refreshed, they are full of energy once again. Blessed or happy is the one whose transgression is forgiven. The song It Is Well gives a perfect description or illustration of how God dealt with our sin when it says this, My sin, oh the bliss of the glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. I should have had Luke sing that to us. (sighs) Maybe next time. But let's continue on in verse 1. And I'll read the first part of verse 1, and we'll look at the second part. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. God covered the sin of his people in the Old Testament with blood sacrifices of animals. This covered over the problem, but still sin 
remained until the perfect sacrifice of Christ. I was discussing this passage with my four-year-old, Luke, about God covering over the sin of his people in the Old Testament. So I put my hand, which is about three times bigger than his, and covered over his little hand. He couldn't see his hand any longer, but it was still there. It still remained under my hand. And similarly, God covered the sin of his people in the Old Testament. It was put off. The sin of God's people were temporarily covered until Christ died and then they were completely deleted. But verse 2 continues by saying, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The final way God forgives is this idea that he does not count our iniquity, our wickedness, against us. This problem with sin that we have, God no longer holds against us, it says. Through Christ, we are completely clear. Our past, our present, and our future sins. The outcome for believers in Christ is freedom, joy, and happiness. Are we happy that the Redeemer, Christ, saved us from ourselves? Christ saved us from the wrath of God. Christ saved us from hell. Christ saved us from the bondage, the enslavement of the flesh, world, and Satan. Amen? This is the heart of Christianity, brothers and sisters. Our problem, sin, has been conquered, forgiven by Christ. Without depth, a reality of seeing our sin, we can't and won't have a true understanding and gratitude of God's forgiveness, our salvation. How grateful are we for God's grace, his mercy that was displayed on the cross on our behalf? Do we see how God's forgiveness, how deep his forgiveness had to go to delete our sin? Are we in awe of God's mercy this morning? So the next question is, what happens when we won't confess our sin? What happens when we won't confess our sin? Let's move to Psalm 32, 3 and 4, to answer that question. Psalm 32, 3 and 4. And it says this, David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. So we see with David that not confessing his sin caused him much suffering. He was in agony. He was having so much guilt. He was heavy, burdened. He was full of sorrow to the point that he was affected physically, it says. David says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Point number four says unconfessed sin leads to holistic suffering. Unconfessed sin leads to holistic suffering. Unconfessed sin affects our relationship with God. 
When a relationship with God suffers, then all areas of life suffer as well. Unconfessed sin changes the way we think, the way we feel, the way we act. Unconfessed sin is like drinking poison and expecting it not to hurt us. I wonder in our day how many people are suffering like David because they aren't confessing their sin. We discussed depression a few weeks ago, but here we see it again as David has no desire, no strength, no passion. He is tired and worn out like a person who would be diagnosed with modern-day depression. I wonder what would happen if David talked to a pastor in our day about the symptoms that he was having. What counsel would the pastor give David? What counsel would we as believers give David? I think it would be safe to say that many would suggest that he has a chemical imbalance. Or maybe he's wounded from his childhood. Or maybe he just needs to love himself better. All the while, Scripture clearly tells us it was sin that was causing his problems. We need to depend on the Word of God. I wonder if we're courageous enough to explore if people are struggling with sin when they come to us because they are suffering. Would we consider a lack of confessing sin as a possible reason for their problems? I wonder if we consider unconfessed sin as a possible reason for our misery and problems as well. In Ephesians, Paul tells us to speak the truth and love to one another. That means... We see the error, the sin in others, and share God's word with them. Why? Because we love them. We want to help them grow in their relationship to God. How loving would it be if you had a bad headache, you were suffering in pain, and instead of helping deal with the pain, I just acknowledged your pain. I just sympathized with you, and I said, man, that looks like a really bad headache. Wow. You look like you're really suffering. Have I helped this person at all with their headache? One of the main ways many Christians, I think, avoid counseling someone biblically is because they think all they have to do is pray with them or for them. Don't get me wrong, though. We should pray for others, but it does not negate our responsibility to speak truth into people's lives. We pray with them by saying, God helps so-and-so with their marital issues. God helps so-and-so with their parental struggles. And then we feel like we've done our duty. When all the while, we may have some understanding biblically why little Johnny is misbehaving so bad or why our friend's marriage is in such shambles, but we don't tell them. God expects us to lovingly, with all humility, come alongside them and share God's truth with them. We are called, we are commanded to counsel each other because we love God and we love others. How well are we speaking truth to others this morning? How often are we sharing God's word with others? Let's continue on in Psalm 32, verse 5. Psalm 32, verse 5, where David says, I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David finally says, I turned to the Lord and confessed my sin. 
Well, what happened? What did God do when you actually turned to the Lord, David? What did God actually do? What well, says David? David says, God forgave my sin. God took David's guilt away. He says he took David's guilt away, which leads to point number five. Confession brings immediate forgiveness. Confession brings immediate forgiveness. God does not call us to do penance. God does not tell us to say the rosary ten times a day for, to find forgiveness. No, Scripture tells us that God forgives us instantly when we confess our sins. 1 John 1.9, you can just write this down. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And similarly here, David said in Psalm 32.5, I confess my transgressions and God forgave me. And it also says that he forgave the guilt of sin as well. Are we confessing our sin to the Lord and finding forgiveness? Like David, we can see that unconfessed sin affects our relationship with God. We become distant with God. God does not disown us, though, if we're his child, but we are the ones that are walking away from God. We are the ones who are hiding our faces from the Lord. We see the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve. When they sinned, they hid from the Lord. They were ashamed. They were guilty. They knew they had rebelled against God, so they hid. Similarly, a Christian that is rebelling is still a child of God, yet he or she is miserable because the Holy Spirit continues to convict them of their sin. David said God's heavy hand was upon him, putting pressure on him. But what a blessing that is. What grace that God does not just let us go. He continues to draw us. He continues to bring us back. He continues to deal with sin and sinners like us. We are secure. We are accepted. We can have confidence that God will hold on to us to the very end. So the final question is how do we actually confess our sins? How do we actually confess our sins? What are some specific guidelines or directions to confessing our sins? Let me give us some Counsel on Confession, and I use Peacemaking for Families, which is just a great book on conflict resolution. If you're looking for a good book to help some maybe family or marital issues, it's a great book. But I got some of my points from Ken Sandy in his book. And the counsel number one says, all sin is first against God. Counsel number one says that all sin is first against God. In Psalm 51, David talks about what sin he committed. And David said, after sleeping with Bathsheba and having her husband Uriah killed, David prays to God and says, against you, you only, I have sinned. David, as well as us, should look at our sin against God first. We, when we sin against others, we first are rebelling against God. A careless word, a wrong thought, a wrong action is first an affront against our God. Do we see our sin 
that is directed towards others as first being sin against God. Well, counsel number two says we go to the people that were affected by our sin. Counsel number two says that we go to the people that were affected by our sin. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So Jesus is saying, we're in worship, you're enjoying the song, maybe it's a new one like Raised to Life, you're, you're really feel like you're one with the Lord, you're focused, and all of a sudden the Lord, the Spirit brings to your mind that you have an issue with a brother. Jesus is saying, instantly leave service and go make it right with your brother or sister that you guys are not reconciled to and you have sin between you. He says, go make it right. Counsel number three. When confessing, avoid using if, but, or maybe. Counsel number three says, when confessing, avoid using if, but, or maybe. Confessing using these words cause us to blame shift instead of taking full ownership or responsibility for our own sin. For example, maybe I got in a fight with my wife, so I decide I'm going to go confess my sin to her. So I say, hun, it was sinful for me to speak harshly to you, but you just get me so angry when you roll your eyes. Or, if you would just listen to what I'm saying, I wouldn't shake my head in such disgust, but I am sorry. These are known as weasel confessions. That's a theological term that if you don't know it, you need to know this word. Weasel confessions. Because they tend to attack the person we are supposedly confessing our sin to. Confusion, confusion, confusion. Counsel number four. Confession needs to be specific. Confession needs to be specific. This is really talking to the men here. It needs to be specific. No generalizations like, I'm sorry for not being a good husband. Or, I'm sorry for being so mean to you. Or, I'm sorry for all the stuff that I did to you for the last five years. Or, I'm sorry for saying all those things or whatever happened to you. That's not confession. A real confession looks like this. It was sinful when I yelled at you and said that you are a worthless person. It was sin against God and you, and I am thankful to have you in my life. And I recognize it was out of my sinful anger that I talked down to you. That's a confession. That's a biblical confession. Counsel number five. Biblical confession ends with asking forgiveness for our sin. Counsel number five says that biblical confession ends with asking forgiveness for our sin. The final step of forgiveness is to ask the person you sinned against to forgive you. Will you forgive me for my prideful response? Or will you forgive me for my selfish attitude? How well are we confessing our sins biblically? How well do we confess our sins to God? How well do we confess our sins to our spouse? How well do we confess our sins to our friends? 
How well do we confess our sins to our family members? How well do we confess our sins to our brothers and sisters in Christ? How well do we confess our sins, yes, even to our enemies? Well, in conclusion, we're going to jump down to Psalm 3211. Psalm 3211 ends by saying, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad. You righteous, sing all you who are upright at heart. We can rejoice. We can lift our voices to God because we are now children of God. We are cleared of all the sin that we've committed positionally. Confession is a blessing. It gives us opportunity to share our hearts with the Lord. It brings us back into right fellowship, right relationship with our Lord. And similarly, we are called to confess our sins one to another out of obedience, out of reverence, out of love for Christ, and out of love for the person that's in front of us. May we grow in our understanding of our sinfulness. May we grow in the depth of God's grace. May we confess our sins to God to others. May we relish in the salvation That comes only through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, how gracious you are. How your word gives us everything we need for life and godliness. But more than that, it gives us opportunity to know you and worship you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to love you with all our hearts. Help us to have a clue what that means. When every moment, every day, we struggle to be faithful to you, Lord. Thank you for your wonderful grace. Thank you for your sovereignty. That you move us and you bring friends into our lives. You draw us to your spirit. You lead us by your spirit. May we be a church that is faithful to you, that stands on your word. May we grow in humility. It's through Christ's name we pray. Amen.